So um, the date was September, 20, or September 4th, so just like two Saturdays ago. Two Saturdays ago was one of those days that you're just like, ugh, it's just a bad day, right? There wasn't anything specific during the day, but as the day went on, something happened that just made it a bad day. Now, if many of you remember that Saturday, two Saturdays ago, you'll know that Clemson lost to Georgia. That's not the reason that was such a bad day. Hey, 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 hey. No, no, no. Yes, that, that contributed to it being a bad day, but that wasn't the main reason it was a bad day. That, that was bad. That was horrible. We don't have to talk. We're, let's move on. I don't know why I brought that up. But something happened outside of the game that caused that to just be a terrible night. Something happened. We realized this as we were getting the kids to bed. Uh, we were upstairs trying to get the kids to, to bed, and we noticed what our thermostat said. And it was hot. I mean, it was hot, hot. And my kids were just, you know, they complained like normal kids complain. It's like, no, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We've been running around. And we go upstairs like, oh, man, no, 85 is hot. That's not normal. And uh, so it just went downhill from there. So I'm like, what are we going to do? It's late on Saturday. Can't call until like a Monday. So I make the decision. I'm like, all right, everybody downstairs. So we take mattresses downstairs. We turn fans on. We open windows. And those poor kids, they just baked for like a day. Uh, but they'll be all right. It's good for them, right? So I say that just to set this up. So you could imagine the first thing that we did on Monday right? We, we called an AC company, and uh, they'd helped us out before, so we call them again, and, and they show up, and, and long story short, they, they fixed the problem. wasn't that big of a deal, but I noticed something in our dialogue with this company that I'm like, man, that's just like what customer service is supposed to be, but it also teaches us something ironically about Jesus. So two things that I observed in our lack of AC over the weekend a couple weeks ago and how that company responded. The first was when we called and said, oh, man, our AC's out. We're, we're just hot. We're all sleeping downstairs. My wife is almost in tears. And this company is like, we are so sorry to hear that. Oh, my goodness, that must have been horrible for you. Yes, it's really bad right now. <sighs> right? So they were super sympathetic, or at least they made it sound like they were really sympathetic. They understood. They, oh, we know how bad it can get and how hot it can be, especially in Georgia and the humidity. So, like, they were super sympathetic, and, and they could understand where we were at. Thank goodness it didn't just end there, right? That would have been the worst phone call ever. We are so sorry. We know it's tough. And we, say, and we need some help. <laughs> like that's the natural next thing, right? So yes, they cared and it was evident, but they also were experts and they knew what to do. So they quickly came over. They looked, I was like, oh yeah, you just need a new fan. No big deal. They put it in and it's done. And so like, I'm like, wow, that was awesome. Like there's no way I would have ever known to do that. There's no way I could have ever figured that out. Like my solution was everybody sleep downstairs, windows open, fans on. Like, that was my solution. They show up, they quickly assess the problem, they order a part, they install the part, and they say, you're good to go. So not only did they care and do a great job of caring, they also were experts and they knew what to do. See, when we face the odds, when we are up against the impossible, when we walk through difficulties in life, we really want both of those. You want to, to be heard, you want someone to care about you and care for you. Right? Somebody to say, it's, it's okay. Somebody to say, man, I, I understand. That is hard. That is difficult. I can't imagine what you've been going through. Like, you want somebody to care, but you also don't want it to just end with sympathy. You want somebody to be able to help. You want somebody to say, 
yeah, so I understand what you're going through, and I know it's hard. Here's what you do next. You want to have both of those. You want people to care, but you also want people to know what to do, and Jesus is just that. Jesus cares, which is why we can trust him, but he also is an expert in life and in us and the entire universe because he made it. He cares, but he also knows what to do. Because he cares, we can trust him. Because he knows what to do, we can follow him because we know where he's leading us. He's leading us in the way that's going to be beneficial for us. When you came in this morning, did you get a note card? If not, we're gonna, we'll have some guest services people here in just a second. Um, if you didn't get a note card, you're going to need one. So just like raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. We'll pass them out. Chris is going to hand these out. If you need a note card, let us know. If not, grab this and grab a pen that you're going to find in your seat. Here's what I'm going to have you do with them. There's a passage out of Proverbs chapter, five, or Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5. I'm going to put it up on the screen. If you don't have your Bible, side note, if you need a Bible, please get one. Right over there where there's coffee, there's a bunch of Bibles. Make sure you have a Bible. It'll help you be able to follow along and see and read uh, within context. So uh, Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, I'll put it on the screen. I'm going to read out of my Bible, but I want us to read this aloud together. Here it is. Proverbs three, starting in verse five, read it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, this is where this is going to come in. Um, that's great that you can read it. That's great that you said it with me, but I want you to write it down. We're going to do everything we can to really get this passage to sink in mind and heart. So take the note card, find a pen, and write this down word for word, because I'm going to have you do something with it here in just a second. Write it down. I'll give you a minute to write it. You don't, you're not going to turn this in. I don't need to be able to read it. It has to be legible for you, not for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I'll keep that up on the screen. Keep writing. You got to finish this. Um, if you haven't noticed, there's like two parts to this passage. There's verse 5, verse 6, and, and they're separated by two different ideas. Similar, but two different ideas. The first one Obviously, trusting in God, but specifically trusting in God and not ourselves. It's trusting in him even when it doesn't make sense to us. It's trusting in him even when I don't see the big picture. It's trusting in him no matter what. Trust in him with all of your heart. Do not trust in your own understanding. So that's the first part. The second part is the practical application of, well, here's what I do with that. So because I trust in him and not myself, well, I'm going to seek him in all that I do. I'm going to try to please him, not anybody else. I'm going to follow in his footsteps, no one else's. And even when I don't know what to do, I'm seeking him and I'm going to trust, tie back into the first part of that, I'm going to trust that every single step along the way, he will show me which path to take. Right? So do you see the two parts, the trust in him part, and then the direction, the following part. So here's what I want you to do next. My guess is that every single person in here is looking for one of those two things today. Meaning, you've got something going on in your life, whether it's a problem, a situation, a decision. You have something in your life where you're saying, I'm just trying to trust God with this. 
I'm just trying to trust him because it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what to do. So I just need to trust him. Some of you are in the, I just need to trust God space. Some of you are in the, I need to know what to do. Like I could do this or I could do that. I feel like maybe I should do this, but I don't know which way should I go. So you're in the, I need to know which way to go space. Whichever one is you, I want you to circle that part of the verse. So if you need to trust God, you're going to circle that first part, trust in the Lord. Just put a big circle around it. You're looking to trust in God, not yourself, not anything or anyone else, but trusting in him. If you're somebody that's just trying to figure out what your next step is in life, you've got decisions in front of you, you've got problems and you're not sure how to handle them, you need to circle that next part. The beginning of verse six, seek his will. That's what you're going to circle. Seek his will in all that you do because he's going to show you which path to take. I bet each and every one of us, we need both of those, but you will probably bend towards one or the other in this season of your life, or at least today. I need to trust in him because I don't understand, or I need someone to just tell me what to do. Which way am I supposed to go? That's going to be a backdrop for the story we're going to look at today. Like I said, the Against All Odds series, we're looking at stories of individuals and groups of people that are going up against the impossible. And as we go through this story today, I want you to be looking for those two things. The where does Jesus care and where's he an expert and he tells us what to do? Because when he cares, we trust him and we follow the footsteps of the expert, the one who knows what to do. So see if you can find, pay attention to those parts of the story. Let me give you one more disclaimer on the story. Um, Chances are good you've heard this or a version of this story before, and usually we focus on the miracle. Today's focus is not on the miracle. That doesn't mean the miracle is not important, most certainly is, but instead of focusing on Jesus and the miracle, I want you to focus on the disciples and how they interacted with Jesus. That'll set this apart just a little bit. Here it is in chapter six out of the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. If you got your Bible, follow along. Uh, Verse 32 is where we're going to pick it up and know that Jesus has been walking around doing incredible works of ministry, healing people, teaching people. People have been amazed at all the things that Jesus has done. In fact, so amazed, and he's done this with so many people, Jesus has been so busy, he needs to get away. So the plan is for Jesus and his disciples to get away, to be able to breathe, to have a little quiet and alone time. But we're going to see they don't quite get that. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 32, here's where we pick the story up. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. People from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. That's just funny. So Jesus is trying to get away. So he and his disciples get on a boat. They start going to the other side. All of these people say, hey, there he goes. I see where he's going to end up. Let's go around. So they walk around the side of the lake, and they're standing there waiting. Crowds of people from so many different towns are all there waiting for Jesus the second he gets off the boat. Verse 34. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So there's the scene. And from this, we're going to see a problem, a quite impossible problem, where the odds are staggering. And here's what happens. Verse 35, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away 
so they can go to nearby towns and farms and villages and buy something to eat. If I were to add the next verse, it would say, because we're going to have a lot of hangry people pretty soon, <laughs> which no one wants to deal with that. A crowd of people, thousands of people, all getting very hungry. This is not going to end well. Now, here's what I want to point out here, right? On one side, we look at the disciples and we want to give them like kudos to say, wow, you recognized a problem and you brought a solution to the table. You recognize the problem is there are thousands of people that are very hungry and it's getting late and there's no way to possibly feed them. So we see that problem. The disciples recognize that problem on their own, but then they bring the solution to Jesus. Notice, they didn't ask Jesus's opinion. They didn't ask for Jesus's help. They just went to Jesus and said, so Jesus, here's the problem, but don't worry, we got it. We've got a solution to this. Here's all you got to do, Jesus. Mr. Son of God, we're going to take care of this one. Just send the people away. Send them away so they can go find their own food. They can go take care of themselves, and then they're not our problem anymore. Their solution was to send them away. Now, what I find interesting about this part of the story is these disciples had seen Jesus do amazing things to this point, miracles and healings and all kinds of only God type things. Yet when they were presented with a problem, it's getting late, there's too many people, and they're hungry. Like pretty basic stuff for Jesus. They never approached Jesus and said, Jesus, we don't know what to do. There's a big problem. What should we do? Like they didn't ask Jesus's suggestions, opinions, or even help. Now I always wonder why. Why didn't the disciples who have seen Jesus do miracles, why didn't they ask for one here? Why didn't they ask for his idea? I mean, he's teacher, rabbi, Lord, why did the disciples come to Jesus thinking they not just knew the problem, but they knew the answer and they knew the solution? Here's what I think. Opinion. I think they're just like us, that we love to be independent and we love to come up with the answers on our own and we don't like asking for help. But here's what I would say. No matter what you're facing, no matter the problem, no matter the impossibility, no matter the odds that you find yourself against, invite Jesus into your problems. So often we invite Jesus into our life, but not our problem. Jesus, I want you in my life. Oh, but don't touch these things over here. I've got those. You can have my life, just not that part. I don't know if it's out of shame sometimes or if it's out of trying to be more capable and more independent. But again, the whole point in our relationship with God is that we would become more dependent on him. So if we can learn anything from the beginning of this story from the disciples, it's invite Jesus into, yes, your life, but also your problems. Don't miss that part because chances are also good that whatever solution we come up with isn't the best one. (laughs) Is it a solution? Maybe. But is it the right one? Is it the best one? Is it the one that Jesus is leading us to? Probably not. And that's what happens next in the story. So here the disciple says, Jesus, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Send everybody away. Jesus had to have said this a little bit with a smirk. Verse 37. But Jesus said, "Mm, you feed them. (laughs) Like, thanks for recognizing the problem. Thanks for spending all of this time coming up with a solution. But yeah, we're not going to do that. 
In fact, we're going to do the exact opposite of that. So no, I'm not going to send everybody away. You feed them. And you had to have imagined that the disciples like spent some time. They probably huddled up as the 12. Okay, guys, all huddled up. Let's come up with a solution. Let's come up with an idea. Then we'll go and tell Jesus. But let's show them that we've got this. So they huddle. They come up. That's a great idea. We'll just send everybody away. We just got to tell Jesus. Great, Peter, you go tell them. So Peter goes over. Peter, Peter says to Jesus, send everybody away. And Jesus looks at him and says, mm, no. You feed them. It's an intimidating line, isn't it? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, we just said it was impossible. We just said the only solution is to send them away, Jesus. We can't possibly do this. It's intimidating. But more than intimidating, I love Jesus' response because it proves this. We said it earlier, that Jesus cares. He cares. Yes, sending the people away would have solved the problem of their hunger, but Jesus is looking beyond just their needing food. He looks to their need for him and to Jesus. And please don't miss this. I love this. To Jesus, sending people away was not okay. Sending people away was not a solution. It's not on the table. Figure out another idea. Figure out another solution. We'll do anything else, but we're not going to send these people away. I think that's still true for us. No matter what problems we have and no matter what problems we bring, Jesus' solution for us is never to send you away. It's not on the table. He will do a miracle in your life before sending you away. So he looks at the disciples and he says, that's not an option. We've got to figure out another solution. So you feed them. Jesus would rather do a miracle then send people away. Jesus cares. We see this. I mean, it's, we're told very specifically. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. <laughs> he cares about you. Like we said, it's not just about caring. We want somebody to sympathize and empathize, but obviously we need somebody that can truly help, which is where the disciples probably felt a little bit stuck. So here Jesus totally says, we're going to do the opposite of your idea. We're not going to send them away. You're going to feed them. Finish verse 37. The disciples say, well, with what? That's a fair question. <laughs> with what? And now I love the disciples that they're starting to engage with Jesus. It's no longer, we see a problem. We have a solution. Jesus, do this. Now it's, oh, like we're going to have to work together on this. Like Jesus, we need some help on this. And I feel like Jesus would say, yes, now you're getting it. With what, they ask. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. <laughs> Verse 38, Jesus, again, just cool, calm, collected. Well, how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, and if you know the story, you know how much they have. Comes back and they say, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. In other words, the disciples come back and say, told you so. Don't have enough don't have enough. That phrase has been very common throughout this series. Every time someone in scripture, or a group of people in scripture, and we are included in this as well, anytime we face the impossible, that phrase in some form comes out of our mouths. I don't have enough. Maybe it is, I don't have enough, in this case, food. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough resources, but think beyond just that stuff. 
I don't have enough patience to be the parent that I need to be. I don't have enough love because it costs so much. I don't have enough faith to keep walking forward. I don't have enough. And God loves it when we say that. Because then God steps in and says, you're right, you don't. Which means you are going to have to rely on me. When we don't have enough, it requires us to rely more and more on God. When we don't have enough, it requires us to trust and depend more on him. And that's where he desires us to be. In a relationship with him that is fully dependent on him. So as just like maybe a side thought, file this one away and maybe think through this one a little bit later, let me just ask this rhetorical question for you. Does your not enough lead you closer to Jesus or not? Because that not enough, it leads you somewhere. And if it's not closer to Jesus, then it's, I don't have enough, so I have to get more stuff. I have to work a lot harder. I have to sacrifice a lot more. I've got to do something on my own so that I can get enough. Newsflash, spoiler alert, you'll never get enough. You'll never have enough. So may our not enough move us to be more dependent on Jesus. And that's the hope that Jesus has for us. And it's what we see happen with the disciples required them to depend more on Jesus. Verse 39, here's how the story begins to wrap up. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could then distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, and a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So that's 5,000 men. You could easily double that. You're talking well over 12 or well over 10 plus thousand people there. Now, typically, like I said, we focus on the miracle of this story. We focus on that Jesus takes a little and turns it into much. It's a great part of the story, but I'm having us focus on the disciples' interactions with Jesus where they started out by saying, we've got a problem and we've got a solution. Jesus said, no, I care too much. You need to do it my way. But what we see here is not that Jesus, it's not that he just cares. Remember this whole thing started because of that one word, compassion. Jesus had compassion on them. So he stopped and began to teach them. He wasn't gonna send them away because he cared for them. But it's not just that Jesus cares, it's also that Jesus knows. We said that at the very beginning. When your AC goes out, you want a company that cares, but also can fix it, can also do something about it. It's the same thing here. When we face problems, the disciples are facing problems. We want to know that he cares, but we also want to know that he knows what to do. Sometimes there can be a disconnect between sympathy and and reality, where somebody is caring, but they really don't know anything about you. They don't know anything about your situation, and they definitely don't know what to do. Jesus isn't like that. We read this out of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 and 16. This high priest, and side note, if you're studying through the book of Hebrews, when you see high priest, that's usually pointing to Jesus. So this high priest, Jesus of ours, look, understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. In other words, he knows everything that you have gone through. He knows everything you're currently going through. He knows everything you're going to go through. And not just knows intellectually, he knows because he's walked through it. 
He knows you and your problems and your difficulties and your struggles more than you could possibly imagine. He's walked through them. And not only did he walk through them, he walked through them without sinning. So he's the one that you want to follow in this. You want to follow somebody that knows and knows what to do and has come out on the other side. Last part of this passage says this in verse 16. So here's how we respond to that. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace. Look at this next part. To help us when we need it the most. He is where our help comes from. When we don't know what to do, when we don't understand what we should be doing, when we don't know if we should do this or do that, we come to him because he knows. And that's where we are going to find our help. There's a phrase that I, I used to say this phrase all the time, all the time. In fact, my family growing up would make fun of me for saying this phrase over and over and over again. I've learned over, uh, over the last several years that I probably shouldn't say this phrase as often as I do, even though my intentions are good, my motives are in the right place. It doesn't always come across the best way. This phrase is intended, and I would use this phrase to help people see the bigger picture, to be able to zoom out from their immediate problem and see a different perspective. And I think this phrase technically would do just that. You say this phrase and it pulls you out of what you're currently in and allows you to see maybe a little bit of a different perspective or the bigger picture. This phrase, I actually used it on my wife once. <laughs> it was earlier on in our marriage. We been married about four years and then we got pregnant with our, our first, who's now Connor. And the first trimester for her was not good. I mean, it was, it was a rough few months and you add a very difficult first trimester plus just never being pregnant before and not knowing what to expect and not knowing what's going on and all the things like she was having a really hard time and sick and everything else and I remember in one of her her weakest moments and one of her most difficult times I'm like this is the time for my phrase and I looked at her and I said Becky here's my phrase it could always be worse <laughs> yeah based on the groans in the room you can all say, rookie mistake, Brian. You don't say that. If any of you are considering saying that phrase, I highly, re I, I don't recommend it whatsoever, at least in this situation. So I said, Becky, it could always be worse. And is that statement true? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. It could have been so much worse. We still had so much to be thankful for. So yes, that statement was true. And I meant it as a loving, caring husband. To just say, Becky, it could be a whole lot worse. And I'll tell you, man, she gave me a look. She did not have to say a word. She gave me a look that said, it's about to get a whole lot worse. <laughs> so I saw the look and I said, message received. And I make a lot of mistakes as a husband, as a father, as a human being. But that is one I have never repeated. I will never tell my wife, it could always be worse. I've never said that to her again. Right? Here's why. Again, that statement absolutely was and, and would be considered true still. So is it true? Yes. Was it coming from the right place and a right heart as a loving, caring husband that's just trying to meet his wife where, where she's at? Absolutely. No one's going to fault the intent or the motives there. Here's the problem, though. I had no clue what she was going through. She looks at me and says, you don't know how I'm feeling. You don't know what this is like, and you don't ever, you're never going to figure that out. I'm not going to be able to understand. So there's this big disconnect between sympathy, 
but then also my understanding. And for Jesus, please don't miss this. He cares and he can sympathize, but he empathizes because he has been there. He has walked it and he has come out on the other side. So when we say Jesus cares, he most certainly cares. But sometimes we want to make sure there's more than just that. He also knows knows you, knows your problem, but more importantly, he knows what to do. If we were to go back through this passage, and if I had you underline or at least circle all the different instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples, you start seeing stuff like jump off the page. Remember, at first, they were telling Jesus what to do. Remember? Here's the problem, so Jesus, send people away. Jesus says, no, I care too much about them. Jesus is basically saying, now, I'm the expert, so let me lead and let me tell you what to do. So Jesus starts taking control of the situation. You feed them. You find out how much you have. You have the people sit down in groups on the grass. You take what I give you and distribute it to the people. You go and pick up everything so we have leftovers. All of a sudden, we see the roles flip for the disciples. No longer are they dictating instructions. They're receiving instructions from Jesus because he's the expert because he knows, and he knows what to do. We have to be in that place of recognizing Jesus cares, but he also knows. You got your note card still? I'm going to have you do something with this in just a second. There's a question I'm going to ask, but first, so hold on to this. We're going to jump in here in just a second. There's a pretty famous um, musical piece a very famous musical piece that um, Beethoven wrote, and I'm sure you would all be pretty familiar with it. But if I were to just put up the sheet music, you have no clue which one that is. Now, there's probably a select few of you that are like, oh, I can read that, I can play that, I know exactly what that is. The rest of us normal people in the room have no idea what this says, right? We look at that and we're like, that's a masterpiece? Like, that's, that's this big, famous musical work of art? That's, that's beauty? I don't see it. But if you were to listen to each of the individual notes played at the right time in the right order, you would hear what we consider it to be a masterpiece. Now, this specific one is the famous dun, 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 is that one. Now, many of you are like, I can't tell. So I could be lying and you have no idea because you can't read it. But I'm told that's what that one is. <laughs> and I show that because in order for this to be a masterpiece, each of those notes have to be played at the right time in the right order. Another way to say it is, in order for a symphony to be beautiful, every single note must be played with obedience. It's a note of obedience, and it's one note after another note after another note, and you put them all together, and you have something beautiful. Now, if you handed me that sheet of music, there's no way I could play that. Can't even read it. But you know what you could do with me? If there was an expert that said, Brian, here's where that note is, push that key. I'd be like, okay, I can do that. Ding. <laughs> now what do I do? Okay, now push this one again. Okay, I can do that. Now what do I do? Or now come over here and push this one. Now what do I do? Now I see that note, that's one here. So now push this one. And I could end up playing the whole thing if I had somebody showing me what to play. Probably wouldn't sound very good. It's not gonna sound like the expert. But you could teach me to play one note at a time. See, so often we come before God and we say, I'm not following you because I don't see the whole picture. I don't know where this is going. The disciples had no clue how they were going to feed thousands of people. And one of Jesus' first 
instructions was tell the people to sit in groups on the grass. Now, there's two choices for the disciples. Um, How's that going to help Jesus? Or they could say, totally don't understand this one, but you're the expert. So, okay, let's go get people to sit in groups on the grass. Said earlier that you're one of two people probably today. You need to trust in God. You're trying to trust in him more or, and I just need to know what to do. Let me end with this last question. And on the back, wherever you did not write, there should be a blank side. I want you to answer this question. Because Jesus cares and knows, what will you do? Because he cares and knows. Because he cares and isn't going to just send people away, what do you do? If you're trying to trust in God more, that cares is a big piece for you. We trust him because he cares for us. That's what we read out of 1 Peter. But he also knows. He's the expert. He knows exactly what to do. And that's who we're called to follow. So because Jesus cares and knows, what will you do? And I actually want you to write this down. Had an old boss that said, Brian, it's not a plan if it's not on paper. And I'm like, yes, sir. (laughs) There's some truth to that. We read things. We think of things. But so easily those thoughts and ideas are pushed out. I want you to write it down because I'm hoping that this becomes a next step for you. Whatever you're facing, whatever, whatever odds you find yourself against, whatever impossible you are in front of, please know that Jesus cares and Jesus knows. So what are you going to do? How are you going to trust him through this? And what next steps are you going to take as he gives you your next step in your instructions. It's not us giving the instructions. You can follow directions even without knowing the full destination. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. I pray that we would take Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six to heart. That we would even begin to memorize that passage that we would trust in you in all things and at all times, and that we would not be dependent on ourselves and our own understanding, but we would be fully dependent on you. I pray that we would seek you and seek your will in all things, in everything that we do, the big decisions and the small decisions, the major problems and the insignificant ones, that we would seek you always because we need you to tell us which path to take. We need you to direct our steps. We need you to speak into our next step, our next notes of obedience. And we trust that as our life is played out in following you and trusting you, that our life is being played as this masterpiece. And even though we don't see the whole thing and we don't even know how to play the whole thing at times, we're trusting you as the expert who loves us and who knows. We trust that you're moving. We trust that you're working. Even even when we can't see it, we trust you in all things. In your name, amen.